हेलो एवरीवन दिस इज कथक का चक्कर माय नेम इज प्रमित एंड दिस प्लेस इज डिजाइन टू बी अ सेंट्रल प्लेटफॉर्म टू ब्रिंग कॉन्वर्सेशंस विद कथकर्स अक्रॉस द ग्लोब सो टुडे आई हैव विद मी सुनेना गुप्ता she is a 23 year old kathak dancer who is a senior disciple of guru mulla afsar khan at the singapore fine arts society she has been training in kathak now for over 15 years and in 2016 sunena received her kathak diploma the, the natya visharad best student title award and notably was the first student in singapore to complete a kathak manch pravesh arangetram She's also been a choreographer and teacher of Kathak and apart from being a dancer she works as a full-time public policy analyst and is a mental health advocate. So Nena how are you? I'm doing good how are you? I'm doing great. I'm really grateful for Medali to that she recommended that I speak to you and I'm really excited about this. So uh just to get us started off um can you tell us a little bit about the work you've done when it comes to Kathak and mental health? Yeah sure. So um pretty much for the last 2 years to and a half years I've been quite occupied with combining my love for Kathak and my love for advocating for mental health and kind of combining the need um to talk about mental health in the South Asian community with um what I've already learned through Kathak as the art of storytelling. So I came up with this dance theater production called Umeed. So Umeed is the Hindi or the word for hope. And so what I was doing through this dance theater production was I realized that through Kathak we um while we're doing a Kathak training, we learn about storytelling, different types of mythologies and Radha Krishna stories, Ramayana, all of these things, but I kind of started to question why I couldn't tell my own story or something that I felt was very contemporary and that I wanted to talk about in today's context and so that's how I came up with the story of a young girl which could be me could be um any other person um and so their journey through mental health the ups and downs that they go through and so that's what umeed was the full title was umeed colors of hope and it was a one hour story that I told to Kathak about how um someone kind of starts off with experiencing difficulties with mental illness how the emotions that they go through how they come out of that and the ending message was about hope and more than anything else it was to raise awareness in a way that um would be well received by the south asian community when there was already so much stigma about the topic understood and when you structured umeed was it in a like a traditional kathak piece which starts off with a vandana and you have yama then it starts off slow and then builds up faster or did you have some other structure to it uh so i didn't follow that traditional structure everything that i did in the performance was traditional kathak but the structure um we kind of took some liberty with that um so at the start there was like a traditional very um a more upbeat um pure classical bandish and then we later went into more of purely like pakavaj tabla music which was like very heavy percussion to kind of show the anger the rage and then it slides down into more of a depressive phase 
And then when we're coming out into the elements of hope and rejuvenation, again, we had um, Sufi, which resembled um, enlightenment and hope, and then also some kind of fusion music. And so we played around with the music a little bit and with the structure um, to tell the story. Understood. Okay. And now when it comes to the reception of the work you do, when it comes to advocating for mental health in dance, uh, let's just start off with the, uh, with the bad in the sense if, if um, when you do this and it's not say, widely accepted, I assume you get pushback. So what kind of pushback do you typically get and how do you deal with it? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's a really good question, I think. So at the start, when I started talking about mental health and especially through the lens of Kathak, the mm-hmm. first reaction I think people had was that, so what does Kathak have to do with mental health and why are you talking? about mental health in the first place, because that's something that's very like hush-hush. Mm-hmm. In, right. um, uh, typically in South Asian communities, I think that's the perception. And so the reaction people have is that, okay, well, because I'm suffering or I've gone through something severe, so that's why I'm talking about it, which, yeah, was true that I did have my own mental health experience, but it was, the issue was that the focus was on the gossip around, okay, what is, has Sinana gone through and like mental health turned into like a topic of gossip rather than an issue that everyone around us goes through. Mm-hmm. And right. so that was a challenge that I faced in kind of turning the narrative away from me and into, okay, this is a topic that we need to talk about because someone in your community is probably experiencing this. And the sooner we can talk about this openly, the more candidly we can share our own stories, the more they are encouraged to seek help and get appropriate help Mm -hmm. and then um yeah and then there was also so i toured this dance theater production in so i started in singapore um right so my home city and then i'd gone around london san francisco new york and then several cities in india and so especially in india it was interesting because we'd had the show and we'd also a lot of the time the venue that i was pulling at they would host like a panel discussion with other mental health professionals or like a Q&A session if it was in a, um, like in a, I perform in some colleges and universities. And so the kinds of comments and questions I would get then um, would just be simply of like, especially I guess in like um, amongst adults or a generation above mine, I suppose, where they were just so confused at the topic of mental health, it would be kind of like, okay, well, why can't you just do this one simple thing and get over it? Or why do people even go to the extreme mm-hmm. of suicide or something? Or I'd get comments like, okay, well, the youth of today don't know how to handle their stress and manage the time and things like that. And oh. so then, yeah, so it was actually, it was quite like, I knew that was so much stigma anyways, but it was a lot more than I thought. And that's when I realized that, you know, people, um, there's some people who don't even have the basic vocabulary or understanding of what mental mm-hmm. health is. And that it's not as simple, obviously, as some of the comments I got. And so to like kind of face that on the spot and have to like go back and explain and like um, that was something that was difficult. But I think that something that's very effective on the topic of of Kattak is that it's so Mm -hmm. expressive and it's such a it's such a comprehensible form of storytelling that it's 
you can really tell each emotion and things so that I think even those people who kind of would be in the state of mind that were like, okay, well, why do people feel sad? Like who would equate depression to sadness? For example, they would understand the complexity of emotions. That is not simply sadness. We have, like in Kathak, we have all these emotions, the Navrasas, so that in through performing, um, like it's different to kind of go to a lecture or seminar and tell someone that, okay, depression is this, 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 and this. But when you're performing it, they can see a human experiencing it. And so they can see through the emotions or the rasas that, okay, it is sadness, but it's also anger. It's also self-loathing. It's also confusion. And so it's all of these things all in one. So I think it does, um, well, at least I hope that it was, it would help the audience members to kind of understand a little bit more about what it really felt like to have a mental illness. and. Um, and like along with pushback, there were a lot of like really, really impactful stories um, and of people who had watched and who had really related to the performance and who kind of got a better sense of understanding of something that maybe they were going through, but they didn't fully know um, whether they ought to seek help or what to do. So I think along with the pushback, there was definitely a lot of positive that came out um, but a lot of interesting experience um, in terms of that as well. Interesting. So now that we're coming to the positive experience, could you tell, give us some mm-hmm. anecdotes about the lives you touched, what people came and told you and how they were affected by your dance? Yeah, sure. So um, I remember the first one, uh, the first like really, really positive experience I had was when I performed in London. And so this was the first show I had ever done abroad. And I didn't really know many people there. Um, So this one man had come up to me afterwards and he had said that, and he was an Indian, so it's not even like he fully understood everything in the performance terms of language, but he could understand the story. And I had an English voice over my own voice through it. So he was able to follow along and I shared a little bit about um, my own experiences. And so he came up to me afterwards and he said that, you know, I think um, my son is around your age and he's studying overseas in Australia. And so I feel like he's been showing some of the symptoms that you have expressed and I'm not able to really connect with him. So I think I'm going to try and reach out. And then later on, um, so a lot of the time in my shows, in my brochure, I'll keep my email um, there. So in case someone wants to contact me about me or if they came and they wanted to say something. So I think after a while, like a few weeks or a month later, he had emailed me and said that he had actually um, reached out to his son and he'd got a better understanding of what maybe his son was going through. And he called his son back to the UK and because he'd realized that his son was actually suicidal. And so he called him back. And so I remember that was, okay. uh, he sent me a really touching email about how he really felt like mm-hmm. um, kind of just having this conversation uh, right. through this performance helped him and that was the first time that um, it was my first time um, performing abroad and it was the first time someone that said that about mm-hmm. my performance and so I was like wow this can actually be effective in a way that I never even thought and I was also um, so through the performances I would raise funds for suicide awareness program um, and so in that that conversation was coming up as well a lot because people when they buy their tickets and they know the net proceeds are going towards these resources and so they look a little bit more into it 
And so I remember that was really, really touching. And then after that, there were just a lot of similar stories, especially through India, because I was engaging with students a lot, um, like a lot of college students. And so a lot of them would write to me afterwards or come and meet me after the performance. And um, yeah, it was just a lot of these like really, really touching stories. And that kind of made me push forward and like keep going on and on and performing and um, talking about it more and more. That's that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. And kind of brings me to my next point where question mm-hmm. more like where to so say if you are a mental health advocate and you're doing spreading the message, um, how do you draw boundaries for yourself personally when it comes to, uh, say, advocating messages and, you know, keeping your email open that people come and talk to you and mm-hmm. kind of becoming their therapist? How do you draw the boundaries between that? Yeah, that that's a really good question. So I think it. Um... There, when I first started off, it was really excited, exciting to be doing something so big and impactful and um, really doing things that I love and care about a lot. So I was like caught up in the excitement. But I think as I started performing more, especially because I was still in university and a lot of it was in my um, third and fourth year of university. And so it was just a lot of pressure to keep performing, keep talking about it while also taking care of myself. And um, so I think I remember like around a year ago or something, I had met my friend and I was saying that, you know, planning shows and things, Mm -hmm. it's like a lot of work. It's a lot of stress. And I feel like at some point I'm sacrificing my own mental health for mental health advocacy, which is not what it should be. And um, so that's something that I struggled with for a little bit. And then I kind of took a step back to less shows, I was a lot more selective with the kind of events and things that I went did. And I think at the start, there was a little bit of guilt because I was thinking that, you know, this is something I care about and I really want to put my heart and soul into it. But um, so it felt bad to kind of step back from performances or different panels and things like that. But um, ultimately I was like, okay, but I do have to practice what I preach and there's no point me burning out or me not being able to handle what I'm doing and right. then going out and talking about, you know, taking care of yourself and things like that. Mm-hmm. The idea yeah. that really helped me. But in terms of um, people reaching out to me with their own um, stories and things like that, so I'm always um, happy to hear stories and listen to them, but I'm in no way trained um, by any means. And so if anything, um, I, can, I can be a listening ear and I'm happy to do that, but I, will point them to the right resources or let them know that like these are the steps that I've seen um, that I've taken myself. These are steps that I've seen people take that I think are useful. These are things that I suggest that you look out for and kind of redirect them um, to someone or something that can help them out a little bit more than I can, because I don't also want to be in the position where I give out false advice or you know put that would put mm-hmm. multiple people in positions of harm so right. um yeah that's the that okay and um yeah because that's really interesting what you talk about is very similar to people who do social work and the, the term is called compassion fatigue mm-hmm. as well yeah. where you care about so many people that you kind of it's harder to take care of yourself and yeah thank you for sharing it goes to and i kind of last not last like uh, yeah another question on this topic which i find kind of interesting because i've had some friends who do social work as well Mm -hmm. and 
when it comes to say our generation who who kind of understand a little bit more uh, what i've also found is that when whenever someone does work for mental health and one does for social work there's an automatic thing that oh you're doing such a great job you're doing a great thing and you are and not saying that you aren't uh, but mm-hmm. i within that frame within all that positive uh, emotion and feedback are you able to get like genuine feedback on your dance performance are, are people afraid to give you criticism because you're doing it for a good cause how what has your experience been yeah so i think um also at the start i was wondering like okay are people um only supporting this just because of the cause or like is my because also as a dancer i want to make sure that i'm going and like being true to the art form um so that's something that definitely came with a lot of doubt but in that sense i um so i'm very close to my guruji and so i always like i would always ask him um you know and like to give me proper like critical feedback and let me know because if i'm doing something that's important to me then i want to do it properly and um i don't want either mental health or kathak to overshadow the other i think it should be equal balance if i'm combining them and so um at least with him like he would sometimes so i was mostly overseas cuz i was studying in the us and he was in singapore during this um only period um and so i would kind of like send him videos and things or when i would come back in the holidays i would spend a lot of time um at the dance school and so he would like tell me frankly like okay sanana you're um you know you're focusing a lot on your performances so your technical aspects are lagging behind you need to do only footwork or you need to go straight back to your um pastas the hand movements and things like that and so he would tell me quite frankly and i appreciated that more than anything um and even e- when i was performing in indian things there were a lot of um like bigger artists and dancers that came and um watched and so i was quite conscious of i need to make sure my kathak is solid if i'm performing in front of these people that i respect so much and um so even then like if they didn't tell me directly i would ask my guruji that you know can you check like what they obviously the storyline and the production aspects are um if they enjoyed that that's fine but in terms of the kathak like how was my how was my technical aspects and so that way i'm like um i feel very blessed that i had um like that i have that close relationship with him that he can always give me honest feedback and also like just enough to push me but not demotivate me i think i think that was really important because he never said it in a way that was kind of like okay you shouldn't be performing like you should just um focus on rebuilding your skills or something like that it was always like okay don't worry we can work on this together and um so that was very important for me awesome and since you mentioned your guruji now it's a great time to segue into your kathak training so could you tell us about uh training in singapore what that's journey been like how do you start doing this mm-hmm. yeah so in singapore there's definitely in terms of indian classical dance while i was growing up it was more bharatanatyam centric and that's just um a reflection of the indian diaspora that's in singapore and the um just singapore's history and culture and things and so um I saw a lot more of that not came growing up but I started learning kathak when I was 7 because one of my mom's friends was teaching at her house and so I just kind of joined and I went for the weekly Saturday morning class and I didn't really think much about it it was just um kathak class to me and then after um 
a few years, I'd moved to the dance school, which is Singapore Indian Finance Society. And then that was more of a proper, um, not full resemblance of the Gurukul tradition, but it was, um, I kind of got a taste of what it was like that the gurus stay there and we go and we train for long hours and we really go through the um as much of the experience as you can get outside of india of um that's so the, the gurus come from katakindra kinder and that's how they um train us through their style and um that's when i kind of got more interested in like okay how is this um art form taught outside of um outside of india and it was it just felt more like i was connected to my roots in india despite living in singapore because we would visit india um every year if we could but it wasn't um super regular so this is one way that i was like okay this is my little piece of india that i can get here in singapore and that's what i really hooked up onto and um katak wasn't as i said it wasn't very big there weren't very many um dancers there were quite a few students but people weren't really performing because it was um mostly bharatanatyam focused and so then around five years ago my guruji so guru mulasar khan he came to singapore maybe five and a half years ago and um so the senior students at the school had transferred him then and he really started to make us perform and he had a lot of experience he had taught in several different countries and um, performed all over the world so he had a lot more experience than um, some of the other teachers that were already there. And so he was able to push us and really build up the Kattak scene because I think as people started seeing us perform more, it um, we kind of brought up the bar and we were able to match the quality of Bharatanatyam that was already there, that had been there for such a long time. And so definitely in the last five years, Kattak in Singapore has grown so much and it's um, so much more widely known and appreciated and so that's been really nice um, for me to see and like I so I feel really proud of my Guruji also that he's been able to come in and do that and really bring up the level of Kattak and spread it on Singapore so much. Understood and so I have a bit of an idea about that you know Kathak is growing a little more a lot more five years than it has before but since you've been doing it for the past 15 and 16 years um what was the process of you becoming the first Rangman student and doing your Natya Visharad? Yeah so we um so we follow like a syllabus that is um so it's an eight-year syllabus in the dance school year that so every year we get some um the examiners from Kathak and we do the exams and we follow through that whole um system and then after your eighth year you um you have your like graduation from the school which is um like your final performance and things and so the way they do the mantra vesh or rang manch here in singapore is that your guru will ask you when they think you're ready it doesn't necessarily mean like right after your eighth year performance some people can have it earlier some people can have it much later it's when they think you're ready to kind of go and um represent them I guess that's when you go and do your Rangman Mantravish and um, so that's the system that we have in place here for that so I kind of just went along with the exams and syllabus blindly like as I said when I started I didn't really think much about it I think when I was um, yeah probably maybe in like the past seven years or something I kind of started to enjoy performing we'd always have little um, get-togethers and 
annual days and Diwali performances and things like that that were being performed for five five minutes each. And so I started to really enjoy that. And um, so when my Guruji came to Singapore and I got transferred to him, I like jumped at the opportunity to perform more and um, for bigger platforms. Okay, and it is that you said you enjoyed performing for the last nine years, and so I wanted to understand a little bit. So, since you were the first student, uh, did you have a lot of peers around you, and if not, how did you deal with that? Um, so for in terms of mantravish, um, yeah, so I did my mantravish four years ago. The performances we did before were just um mm-hmm. like smaller ones, but yeah, for mantravish, since it was my fir- the first one, um, we were kind of. Well, not kind of. We were quite clueless about what to do because we hadn't seen a Kathak one. I'd been to a lot of Bharatnatyam. Um, they call it Arangetam, right? So I'd been to a lot of those and a lot of my friends who were learning Bharatnatyam have done those. Um, and we were kind of thinking, okay, how do we kind of make this into a Kathak version and like what, like what do we follow or like more than what do we follow since we didn't have much to follow. It was like, okay, what kind of stones are we setting down for the next few mantravishes so in that case it was really exciting but it was also I remember it was um me and my family and my guruji were like quite nervous that okay like what are we really doing so um it was like that nice that was going on at that time and um yeah I think it was that like I had a lot of peers that I've been learning Kathak with obviously I've been learning for a long time so I had a lot of friends that I'd kind of danced with and then some people drop in and out and they have other commitments and things so they can't always be there every class and um i've started to um train like as a solo dancer also so they way they also do at the dance school is they'll train a few solo dancers a few duets a few um groups and things like that so i was since i was doing it solo i was um a lot of even the organizing and things was by myself um, and there was nobody else who was kind of gearing up towards Maharashtra at that time. So it was um, it was cool because I kind of had the liberty to um, be like, okay, I can kind of set the precedent a little bit um, in terms of the, like just the style or like what kind of things we do. And then I wanted to make sure I was really rooted in like, okay, how are Maharashtra is done in India? So in that way, um, my Guruji was able to guide me um, but yeah, it was a little bit nerve-wracking that, okay, this is the first one. So like, now what am I going to do? So yeah. I see. Okay. And so now that you're at a point where you've been doing it for 15, 16 years, do you see yourself like being in Singapore for the long future and just continue the legacy of your guru? Where do you feel yourself taking Kathak in Singapore? Um, at least in in Singapore, um, so now there's a lot more Kathak dances in the last few years. There's been other students that have done their mantra mm-hmm. and um, there's a lot more. I think now it's more normalized to continue Kathak like all the way through the and kind of there's something more to aspire to to do your mantra and then continue afterwards also. Um, so that's definitely more of the norm now. But in terms of Continuing the legacy. Um, so what he always tells me is that whether it's in Singapore or wherever else I might move to, it's um, so obviously like there is a part of him that is in me when I, so I teach, um, I started teaching a little bit in Singapore. So it's 
obviously all of his training that I'm teaching, but I think wherever I go, it's more of his style that comes out in my performances, his training that's like very visible and that I try to imbibe as much as I can. Um, so I think that his, that's more of his legacy and in terms of his teaching style. Um, so there's a lot of, there's so many different Kathak styles, but in terms of teaching style, it is a very like nurturing and caring um, family told me specifically. So I teach um, mostly seven-year-olds and um, who, uh, whoever, like they live close by and things. So I teach them like how I started learning at um, like more informally. And so one thing he told me was saying, because um, I was asking him that, you know, um, like when I was seven-year-old, I used to go to the class and I was so shy and like I would barely even speak and I was like so scared and things like that. But now my students, when they come, they're like really hyper and they run around and they're so energetic and like I could never imagine being like that when I was a teacher, right? And so he said, um, yeah, like times have changed. Think, um, kids might be like that. But the one thing is you can't ever scold them. You always have to. And be patient and understanding and all that. So that's like the one thing that I always kind of keep reminding myself that just treat them with patience and kindness and things like that. So I think that's more of his legacy that I'm like, I want to continue in um, wherever I am in both my teaching and performances. Okay. And so I've understood what are the things you want to continue. And in terms of the teacher you want to be, what are the elements that you want to add that you feel like, maybe you weren't taught in a certain way and you want to, or maybe you want to add your own flavor to it. Um, so I think in terms of what I can add is that, um, so what I've added into my performances and things is that I like to have some kind of social cause or um, a little bit more of a contemporary message with my work. And so obviously my students are really young right now, but I would hope that as I continue teaching, I can kind of instill that in them to um, use, to really like use their school education and that there can be a lot of overlap between their formal schooling education and their Kathak training. And so I hope that, that's, I mean, it's going to come in many, many years, but um, I hope that that's something that I can pass on to them. Um, and especially with like what I've tried to do with Ramil, I hope that something that like they can find causes or things that they truly believe in and use cuts up um, for themselves to grow as people themselves, but also um, as a form of expression for important topics. Understood. And while we're talking about performances and the things you do, would you say you have a style of Kathak right now? And what would that be for you? Um, like your own style? In terms of my own style, I'm not sure. I think I, um, obviously my performance is very based on my training and I like to um, attend a lot of different masterclasses and workshops and things. And especially these like past six, seven months, um, there's a lot of uh, big gurus in India that have had some um, like masterclasses and things like that, which I've kind of, uh, that I love attending those even if you just learn like a short three four minute thing um so i try to mix all those things in terms of developing my own style um i'm not sure i think there's things that i'm like more pieces that i'm more comfortable with pieces that people have like given me feedback that they think like certain styles really suit me um and those are 
especially Sufi or Tumris and things like that. And so um, I hope that, like, I, I mean, I develop my own style and, like, in those aspects and build on them more and also strengthen the other parts of myself. Okay. And, like, when we talk, we're talking about yourself, would be good to touch upon Riyaz if you want to discuss that. What does your Riyaz rituals look like? And how do you balance, like, pushing yourself and making yourself better and kind of taking care of yourself as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that's a really good topic, I think, because it's something that I kind of questioned myself with, like, what is the prime way to do Riyaz if I want to call myself a Kathak dancer? Like, what does it mean to really do Riyaz that way? And um, and especially while I was in university, because I wasn't anywhere near my guruji and... Um, and the time difference and things didn't work for like Skype classes or rehearsals. So it was, I was kind of like torn into it by myself and I knew I wanted to maintain it. Um, so I set one rule for myself, which is, um, I don't know if many Kathak dancers would, like, would agree, but my rule was um, that, okay, every single day for 15 minutes, I have to do Riyadh. And so this is only 15 minutes. And in that sense, it could be this 15 minutes would often extend into extend into one, two, three hours, or some days it would just be 15 minutes, but I wanted to make sure that I was doing it every day. And that was the only way that I saw in like the sake of college that I would maintain it because I didn't want to set an unattainable goal also and then be demotivated. And so, but um, I think the thing that's different is that the 15 minutes didn't always mean that, okay, go to the dance studio, dance class and do... Um, my Pitkar or Hastak to do my um, a run through of my performances or things like that. And some days it was that. And um, those are the days that I would feel like really proud of myself that, okay, I was able to kind of go and do a full run through or do proper, proper Riyadh session. But some days it would be like, okay, I'm just going to um, sit in my room and for 15 minutes really just focus on the Abhinaya or expressions part of this one piece that I'm trying to work on or really focus on this one small aspect of Kathak and so I just um, focus for steam minutes or like on Sundays when you know like I'm really really stressed there's a lot of other things going on even now that I'm um, that I started working there's um, some days where I'm like okay going and taking out time before Riyadh is difficult so on some days it's really just like on my commute I'm gonna listen to different soundtracks or like maybe tracks of people doing parents and so I get more of a idea of how people do the donations and things like that or different types of Kathak music and so it's such a big variety and um but that's something that I've I think I set this rule probably like four years ago and I've pretty much stuck to it and it's um it's I think it's good in a sense because even when no matter what I'm doing in my life wherever I am or um supposing I'm like on a trip or even like overseas or on holiday or something like that I can always take up 15 minutes to do some aspect of Kathak so I'm always engaging in it no matter what like every single day and um and it helps like, even um in terms of like injuries and things I don't want to totally just leave uh, my Riyadh with this in this sense I have my 15 minute rule that I can still continue it with and uh, more often than not it will stretch on for much longer so that's how I've tried to keep up with it that's really interesting that you just commit to 15 minutes a day and then you see where it takes you Mm -hmm. i like that 
And coming to you as a choreographer, could you tell us a little bit about your life as a choreographer? Yeah, so um, I don't know if I'd fully call myself a choreographer, but it, um, in terms of like choreographies, like for when I was at university at Berkeley, so we had a Kathak team, and so I would choreograph pieces for that. And that, again, was just like different elements of things that I picked up my Guruji from other workshops and kind of put them together and like what um, I seen fit. Um, and then as I started doing that, I would develop like my own steps, a little bit of my own style and choreography, things that I liked, things that I didn't like. And um, that was um, something that I found fun in university, doing it for the team and like seeing it come alive on stage and group performances. Um, and yeah, now that I've started teaching, I've been able to do that a little bit as well. And a little, and like once in a while, I'll do um, short choreographies for um, like videos of semi-classical songs. And that's just more of um, like just for fun pieces. But for my full stage performances, I would still um, want to like go to my Guruji and like whenever he creates something, I'm like, okay, this is just seems so much more magical than what I had initially thought in my head that I could do with this song. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. And after that, I just want to touch upon like your performances. You mentioned some of them over over our conversation, but are there uh, over, over your performing career are there is there are there any anecdotes that you want to share some memorable experiences um so yeah the bulk of my performances um for the past couple of years have been um with omid and so i did mm-hmm. i think 15 shows of that in different oh. places um but i think the last one so the last show i did of omid was in january so that's when i ended the omid um Sure. It was actually um, luckily just in time before um, COVID-19 started. And so I'd done that one in San Francisco and that one was really special because um, during my time at university, I was always, a lot of my time would be spent like working on a meet to perform in different cities and different countries, but I was finally able to do it in the Bay Area in California where I'd kind of... Um, thought about it and planned it all out and worked in it the most. And so performing it there was really special because um, I was able to have a lot of my friends um, from college, my professors and different people that were involved in like my own mental health journey the most. Um, They were finally able to see it, um, see what I've been working on and see my story come alive on stage. And so that was, um, I, I would say, the most special one. Um, yeah, and then apart from that, going to India to perform was really, really special because I hadn't really traveled around India much at all through, um, while growing up. And because um, so I'm from Delhi, so we'd normally go to Delhi in the summer and then come back and we wouldn't travel around a lot. But um, here, because I was being invited to perform in different places in India, I got to travel to um, Punjab, to Chennai. Bangalore to so many different places and like just road tripping around India and like doing sightseeing and things like that was a lot of fun and that was um yeah that mm-hmm. whole thing was just such a good experience and I got so much more attached to um different parts of India and different aspects of the country and its culture and things so that um was really like such a good experience for me 
Okay, and I one thing you mentioned in our in our convers in our introductory conversation was that you partner whenever you you perform across the world, you kind of partner up with a local organization, mm-hmm. and that is something that you add to your performance. Can you tell us what the behind the scenes process is like when you go to a new city? What is the exact process that brings you to that partnership? Yeah, so um, how it worked was um, so obviously in Singapore, that first one that was. Um, quite straightforward because there was a charity here that I was um that I'd seen like doing a lot of really good work um and so I was able to partner with them that was project smile that does um they have different programs for women empowerment like when they've gone through abusive situations things like that um and then when I went to London as I said that was my first overseas performance and so I was um able to so I, how that actually happened was this is actually um, a good story to share going back to your previous question about performances. But the way mm-hmm. that came up was that I'd met a lady in London through um, mutual connections. And so she had told me, she was telling me a story about how her own son, who was around, um, who had been around my age, he had committed suicide when he was around, I was 21 at the time. So when he was around 20 or 21. And so that's the story that really, really touched me. And that's when I thought, okay, like I was able to do amazing Singapore about mental health and raise so many funds. And so why can't I do the same thing in London? Because she had gone on to um, work for this organization called Papyrus that works for youth suicide prevention. So I was really touched by that she shared that with me. And so that's kind of how I went on to um, perform in London and so I raised funds for them and I was able to um, talk to so many different people in the organization and so in terms of the process I find it really important too that I spend enough time getting to know the organization and seeing exactly what kind of work they're doing because um, I want it to be something that I can be confident that it's going into a cause that I truly believe in and that um from people who are coming to watch me and spend money on my performance that they should know exactly what is happening with their money and they should also feel strongly about the cause. And so um, that's how it was in London. And then in India, when I did it there, there were um, a few organizations that anyways I had kind of known because going back to Delhi, um, because I'd been visiting so much, I already knew organizations there and um, so that was okay to, for me to partner with. Um, and so I went to two organizations in Delhi. One was the infant orphanage that was like right um, by my family home there in Delhi. And another was a, uh, another youth suicide prevention organization. So all the India shows um, and the remainder of the U.S. ones, they went to um, these, these other four organizations that I managed to partner with and um, and it's nice because I'm still in touch with them that I can still mm-hmm. see like what is going forward and how the funds have helped. Right. Okay. And uh, that brings me to my next question in the sense that, so you're, since you're traveling across the world and you're kind of, when you partner up with charities and NGOs, how do you ensure that you're also being compensated for the art that you're putting out? Um, in terms like, um, what do you mean by that? 
Um, so I guess uh, okay, I guess some background here in the sense. So if you're if you're doing performances and uh, you're going going uh, doing performances in various places, and it's not a, a say a corporate gig, mm-hmm. is it uh, difficult? Uh, is it if if uh, is it difficult? Is it difficult to get compensation when you perform oh, okay, in that okay. in those places? Mm-hmm. And well, how do you deal with that? Yeah, so that's um, that was also something that I was a little bit um, concerned about at the start because it's a lot of money to put into a production, um, and so at least. So the way I did it was there, it wasn't really corporatized, but I had corporate sponsors who, so I had a proper budget set out. And then um, a lot of people would, so it was through donations and um, different corporate um, corporate organizations that would sponsor certain amounts. Um, and we did it through sponsorship packages. So that kind of covered all the costs and then, um, and then ticket sales also. So then beyond that, the net proceeds would be what went to the different charity organizations. And so, yeah, there is a little bit of risk in doing that. Um, And there is a lot of cost in it, but for me, luckily it did work out. And it's um, in that sense, it's, uh, it's like the artist really does have to become like go into the marketing aspects, the business aspects, the funding aspects, and all these different kind of things that you don't see when you see someone dancing on stage that to manage all that. And because I was doing it for charity also, one of my main things is that I want to maximize the proceeds that go to them. So then I didn't, I wasn't really in a state to like hire different people or spend on different types of um, costs because at the start I had no idea whether I'd even meet the costs um, or how the ticket sales would do. Um, so a lot of it was like learning how to do different things by myself. Um, and that goes like even um, things like brochure design, for example, like instead of getting a designer, I was like, okay, let me sit and learn how to do all this stuff so that I can save a big, because those are all big sums of money and they all add up. Right. And so I was trying to do as much as I could um, by myself so that I would maximize the proceeds and, I think half of it came from a place that I need to make sure I meet the cost of this production. And, um, and yeah, I think there were a lot of people who were avid supporters of my Kapta dance different because I'd already performed in Singapore a lot. Um, there were enough companies and things that were able to give um, mm-hmm. very kind sponsorship packages and um, cover. Yeah. Okay, so Sunaina, yeah, thank you for telling us about your sponsorships and how you get that. It, it was really good to learn about how that process works. And when it comes to, say, future projects, uh, what are the, some things that are coming up that you'd be excited about? And I know uh, Corona, like the whole coronavirus situation has kind of put a wrench in everyone's plans. But just wanted to know what you were thinking about. Yeah, so, um, yeah, actually, so because of COVID, I... Um, actually came back to Singapore um, much earlier than I was meant to. So I've been here since March. And um, because of that, I've been spending a lot of lot more time with my Guruji. So normally I don't get this much time in one go in Singapore. So um, so what I'm actually trying to do before, I, like while there's more of a lull time, is spend more time kind of going back to basics, focusing on like the most technical aspects and like making the most use of this time to train properly before I um either like head off back to the US or um get involved in more performances and so right now in 
Singapore, as in uh, most places, it's quite um, strict. And I, so I did do a online series while we had the lockdown in Singapore, and um, that was back in May. Um, it was right. a um, yeah a weekly five week series, and that was to um, on like a YouTube live premiere, and that was again to raise funds for the migrant workers in Singapore who were affected by COVID. Um, but yeah, since then I haven't really a lot of other um, different dance schools and companies have been doing online premieres. I think that's the only thing we can really do right now. And so I've been participating in some of those. But in terms of my own work, um, I have a lot of ideas um, that I want to put into play, hopefully. It's just, um, yeah, it's difficult for everyone in terms of when. And I'm kind of thinking, okay, should I wait for performances to open up. Um, Singapore is relatively better. So I'm hoping in like the first or second quarter of 2021, they start um, more fuller performances. Right now they've started it with 50 people. Um, or should I just go for online shows? Um, so yeah, I'm kind of stuck in that right now. I don't have such a clear or exciting answer to give at the moment. Awesome. I appreciate that you're taking us through your thought process and the options you're considering. And I guess my last question to you, Sunina, is that since you are an advocate and and most of my listeners are Kathakars, is there a message you want to send out to them? Um. Yeah. So I think the same thing as I was saying, like what I would hopefully want to pass on to my students is that um, like Kathak has so much flexibility while still staying within the traditional boundaries of the art form. And um, yeah, so I would like, I'm in no way like super experienced or anything at all. Um, like, I feel like I'm still just starting out. But what I've really enjoyed um, seeing artists that I admire do is to kind of like push at those boundaries as much as possible, pick up different themes, make Kathak, um, it can be very relevant. It doesn't have to, um, it's such a beautiful ancient dance form, but it's also so relevant to our everyday lives. And um, it's something that I've been inspired by, um, by people picking up different social issues and things like that. And sometimes I feel like the, even if the issue is just like, not I mean, not the issue, but if what you're trying to tackle is really just do it for your own well-being, kind of just, um, it's such a good, art form for that to express whether it's just your own emotions or um things like that there's just so much flexibility and so um that that's the only thing i would say in terms of my thoughts on kathak for other kathak dancers okay and that's awesome and with that i kind of conclude this episode oh uh, yeah so nana thanks for coming on the podcast i learned a lot today and yeah i'm and yeah, looking forward to the, what you put out in the future as well. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was really great.